I want to start out with a thought. We're going to continue. If you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 32. And we're just going to hang out there in about six verses today. But I want to kind of do the deep dive and connect it to the greater story. But I want to begin with a thought. And the thought is this. I read it by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He actually kind of developed the message translation of the Bible. He's also a prolific Christian writer. And he said this, and I kind of want to take this thought and run with it as we look at the text today in Genesis 32. This is what he said. He said, a name is a seed. And when it germinates, it tells a story. That a name is a seed. It's a seed inside of you, inside of your soul, that is informing the story that you live, the life that you live. A name is a seed, and when it germinates, it tells a story. The story that you are living right now, the story that you're living unto or from or for is currently the result of a name deep inside of you. Uh, Today we're going to look at the story of Jacob. We've been looking at him for the last uh, two, this is the third week where we've looked at this significant player in the book of Genesis. If you're just joining us, we've been in a Bible series where we're just kind of flipping through the pages of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And Genesis is a book that we've understood now that it's a framing story. It's a a series of pictures to help us understand the world we live in, uh, the God that that created everything, the the reason that some things are dysfunctional, the reason that that humanity is dysfunctional. Genesis has it all. It shows all of the stuff of humanity and life, the the highs and the lows. And we've been finding those through it. And I I hope you're starting to catch this as we go on, that all of these stories connect themselves back into the work and person of Jesus Christ. They, there's, this, there's this red thread almost woven through the whole book of Genesis that if you'll look and say, where is Jesus in this story? It's telling the story of what Jesus would ultimately come to do on the cross. And today it is no different. And the story of Jacob specifically ties directly into the story of, of, of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the story of Jacob and, and to pick up, we're, we're now 20 years ahead of where we were last week. Uh, The book of Genesis covers a multitude of eras and times and generations. And even in the story of Jacob, although there's 10 chapters designated to this man's life, we actually find 20 years have passed. And I'm going to catch you up in a minute. I told you we're going to geek out on the Bible and we're going to go there. But I want to pick up in verse 22 of chapter 32. And Jacob is now uh, an older man. He's got kids and he's got a household and he's got some issues going on. And, and I want to just read this and then I'm going to unpack it because this is the ultimate kind of climactic point of his whole life where everything changes. And it has to do with his identity. It has to do with his name. And I want to look at it today. It says in verse 22, just follow along, keep this open. It's an incredible passage. And the more I dive into it and try to understand it, the more richness I see. And I hope to be able to share even some of what the Lord's been putting on my heart and encouraging me with this. But it says in verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, yes, two wives, and his two female servants, uh, more than servants. They're also his like girls, his side pieces. Uh, he's got two wives and two girls on the side. I don't know. You're going to find out. It's, not, it's a mess. Um, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he's got 11 sons at this point. We know he's got one, at least one daughter that the Bible tells us about that later we find in the tragic story. Uh, but, so he's got 11 sons and a daughter at this point, four, four girls, and they are on the move leaving where they had been, I'll I'll tell you about that in a minute, and heading to try to reconcile with Jacob's brother Esau. 
And so they're heading and they're on the way and Jacob sends all of his household, all of his possessions, all of his belongings ahead of him to go meet Esau first. And then it says this. So Jacob was left alone. So all of his family's gone and there's Jacob alone again. If you were here last week, was anybody here last week? Jacob was all alone in the middle of nowhere and, and he had this encounter with God. And then again, we find Jacob all alone in the middle of nowhere. And it says, a man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. Weird. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched or dislocated, another translation says. It was popped out of joint. And if some of you actually had hip replacement surgery. You know how painful the, the hip can be when it's not functioning right. And so his, his hip gets knocked out of joint because the, the man touched the socket. So we're already starting to see this is no ordinary man. We'll, we'll get there. And then it says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, and here's where I want to kind of hang out for a little bit before we get into the, what happens next. The man asked Jacob, what is your name? What is your name? Now let's just pause here for a second. Let me just make sure we're, we're on the same page. So Jacob is alone. He's, he's in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. He's, he's leaving one part of his life behind, a whole era, and I'll unpack that in a minute. And he's heading back to try to make amends and try to figure things, how to fix things with his brother. Now, if you remember his brother, you remember that Jacob was born uh, just moments after his older brother Esau, and he was from day one trying to obtain Esau's blessing. And we find out that he tricked his brother, and just this mess started with Jacob's life. And you're going to find Jacob Jacob, his whole life just seems to be this kind of downward spiral of a struggle. His life had been a struggle. And now we find he's there alone and this strange occurrence happens that out of nowhere, he's interrupted that this man appears, but we find out it's not just the man. In fact, we start to see things already that he's able to touch the socket or touch Jacob's hip and, and knock it out of socket. And then in a few more verses, you're going to find that it actually says outright, it's God. That in fact, God appears to Jacob in the middle of nowhere, and they have this kind of conflict. It says they began to wrestle. Now, I don't know what type of wrestling it was. I don't know if it was jujitsu or taekwondo or what it was. All I know is that it's this picture of them grappling together, holding one another and struggling and fighting. And for whatever reason, the man, the God man, allows this to happen. He, he allows this struggle to go on through the whole night. This whole night, Jacob is struggling and wrestling with this God man. And now we find that, that this is happening, this, this, this interesting picture. And I want you to already start to picture Jacob with his arms around God, this God man and them struggling and wrestling until a certain point. And it's important that we notice this, that the, that the God in this picture allowed Jacob to struggle with him. That in the middle of nowhere, on this kind of ordinary night, God enters into his story and engages Jacob in his struggle. And they struggle and wrestle all night long until it says, it says that the man noticed he could not overpower Jacob. Now, the word overpower there isn't what you're thinking. It's not that Jacob was stronger than, 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 than the God man. It was that Jacob would not relent. Uh, it was like this morning, my three-year-old had a temper tantrum. 
And it's not that I'm not stronger than my three-year-old. It's that as a parent, I can only use so much strength to, to struggle with him. Do you understand what's happening here? So, so, so God, in this case, is wrestling with Jacob and allowing Jacob to kind of get it out of his system. And they struggle all night long until to a certain point where God decides, okay, enough's enough. The sun is about to rise and the struggle is over. We're ending this struggle right here, right now, Jacob. And he zaps his hip and wounds him, which how many of you know, some of you who follow Jesus long enough, God loves you enough to wound you once in a while. That's why it says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Do you know that's actually a reference? You know how the shepherd would use his staff? He'd sometimes snap the leg of little Lammy because Lammy wasn't cooperating, right? You think those pictures you saw in Sunday school with Jesus with the little lamb over his shoulders, looking back, smiling? He just broke that lamb's leg, right? Like, (laughs) you never thought of that before, did you? Old airbrushed Jesus just snapped that leg. But God touches the socket, and it's, this is such a cool picture, and I'm going to break down the richness of it in a second, but he snaps the socket, and he says, okay, this struggle, this struggle, Jacob, this struggle that you've been have, having, not just all night, but your whole life is over. And he, and he gets to the heart of the struggle. It's not in wrestling with God. He actually gets right down to the root, to the, to the seed that is germinating all of the stuff and the issues and the struggles of Jacob's life. He asks the question that is the cause of all the struggle. What is your name? What is your name? Now, for us, when we think about names, like we don't necessarily think of it the same way as what it would have meant in this context. In the ancient Near East, your name was connected with your identity. It represented your character. Uh, a lot of the time they would give a name if it was, or there was a certain event or they'd speak a name about what you're going to be like. Uh, for us, that may or may not happen. My, my name doesn't carry any significance to me. I've never even looked up what Brent means. It's just a given name. But for in their context, your name was connected to your identity. It was that thing that explains who you are. And so when God asks Jacob, what is your name? He's saying, who are you? And for us, as we think about this, and just want to pause here, so so we're going to ask the question, what does this have to do with us? The name of your life, I'm not talking about your given name, there is a name deep inside of you, and how you answer the question, what is your name, is ultimately giving birth and giving life to the way you are living and going through your life. Like Eugene Peterson said, a name is a seed. And when it germinates, it tells a story. And how you answer the question, who am I, is the ultimate source of your entire life. It, it stems from your name. You might have never thought of it that way. But how you answer the question, who am I, is ultimately why and how you live your life. A name is a seed, and it's a growing story. It's the source of your story. Your name is connected to your identity. And so God, in his brilliance and his patience, in his wisdom, looks at Jacob and says, what is your name? We are going to deal with this. And he begins to unearth the seed that was deep in, embedded in Jacob's soul for decades. And he is going to get at it and he's about to do something with it. But you got to understand. So he says, he says in what, what verse is it? He says in verse 27, the man asked Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob answered, my name 
is Jacob. And now if you've been following along or you've, if you've read the this, this story of Jacob, that's a complicated answer. Can, we, can I talk about Jacob for a minute? Can we do some Bible study? Okay, we're going to do some Bible study, so if you, you might as well get ready for it. So, but if you know the story of Jacob, it says that, that Jacob was born grasping the heel of his older brother, and his parents gave him the name Jacob. Now, the, the name Jacob actually does mean something. It means supplanter. It means overthrower. And so he was given the name from the beginning, the supplanter and overthrower. And it's kind of interesting as you watch his story, he lived up to his name. He, he, from day one, tried to, tried to supplant and overthrow his brother's right to be the firstborn. We, we th- saw that three weeks ago when he, he traded a bowl of beans so that he could steal the birthright out of his older brother. Again, he's, he's this kind of conniving scoundrel. He's a con man. He, he's, he's a guy that's out to get something. And so Jacob, from day one, we find him living up to his name. Then we find him not just being the supplanter, but the overthrower. He's an imposter even. We find later he actually dresses up like his brother Esau. And that is a picture of, that tells us something that at no point was Jacob ever comfortable with being Jacob. Jacob from day one didn't want to be Jacob. He wanted to be Esau or someone else. He set out to make a name for himself. And so he lived his life, for the first half of his life anyway, as Jacob the overthrower, deceiving and striving to make a name for himself. We, we saw it over and over. We saw it, him trying to steal a blessing. We saw him stealing a birthright. And over and over, there's this picture of Jacob. you got to get this. When God asks him, what's your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. That's, that's a complicated answer because Jacob at no point ever really was comfortable with being Jacob. He wanted to be something else. He wanted to be greater than what he thought he was. He wanted to, to accomplish something. He wanted to walk in blessing. He wanted to have the birthright of his older brother. He was never comfortable in his own skin. And so from day one, we saw this striving from Jacob. He sought to make a name for himself. He, everything, everything kind of went to work towards accomplishing or getting or obtaining value. Do you understand? He didn't feel he had intrinsic value. He felt value was out there, so he had to go out and validate a name. He had to go make a name for himself. And we're not so different. A lot of us, we live our lives not quite sure if we're worth anything, if, 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 if we matter. And so we set out to try to achieve. We set out to try to make accomplishments or, or accolades. We, we try to connect ourselves to other people. We, 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 maybe we dress a certain way to, so that we're perceived a certain way. It's all in an effort to make a name. You ever think of it like that? You're trying to create a persona. That's why on Facebook, you don't put the ugly picture. Right? Like no one does. Like Facebook is such a picture for us. Like we're not different than Jacob. We kind of present ourselves in a certain way. We, we postulate and posture ourselves in a certain way so that we present a name. We're trying to create a name or make a name for ourselves. We're just putting it out there for people to believe. But I don't really think it's for people to believe. I think it's actually trying to convince ourselves that we're that person. And so Jacob, from day one, he's just putting his name out there, trying to make a name for himself. And we live in a world where that, we're, no, we're no different. Some of us try to do it through self-accomplishments and self-validation. If I just get that job, if I just get that, if I just get married, if I can just accomplish this, if I can just obtain this, if I can just get one more of these, if I can just, then I'll feel like me. 
like I've made it, like I'm something, like I matter. And then some of us, it's interesting in our culture now, there's this kind of kickback to maybe the folly of trying to achieve. And now there's this whole thing of self-identification that you can just, I'm me and you better accept me whether you like it or not. I'm me and I get to be me and I'm gonna call me me and I'm gonna be whatever I wanna be today. I'm making a name for me. I determine me. Anybody ever heard that ideology? I just got to stay true to myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm writing my own name. I don't care what you name me, God. I don't care what you name me, Mom and Dad. I'm, I'm me. And so we kind of project ourselves in this sort of, you can't tell me who I am. I'll tell, you, I'll tell me who I am. Whether it's looking to accomplishments to validate who you are or whether it's just telling yourself who you are, we all kind of have the same propensity like Jacob to strive to try to create a name for ourselves. But, but here's the, the, the interesting thing about Jacob's story, and I think a lot of us could relate to it. The more Jacob tried to make a name for himself, the more complicated and, and dysfunctional his life seemed to get. Like he actually got the birthright from Esau, but what happened? He ends up having, getting kicked out of his own home. He actually did get the blessing from his father, but then he finds he's actually living out in the wilderness alone. And that's what happens in life. I think if anybody's lived long enough, you, you've had some experiences where you set out to obtain or get that success that you'd hoped to get, and then when you got it, you realize it didn't do in me what I, what I hoped it would in the first place. Ever, ever have that? I, you know, when I, just, just, when I graduate, I'll feel better, and then you graduated and you didn't feel better that long. When I open the business, then I'll feel better. And then when you open the business, you did that and you didn't feel better after all. After all. There's, there's a deeper layer that has not answered the question, who am I? And Jacob over and over starts to realize, you know what, life just repeatedly shows him, okay, I'm not awesome. I'm my own worst enemy, actually. I'm making a giant mess of things. And you start to see this unfold in Jacob's life that the harder Jacob tried to answer the question, who am I? the further he fell from anything near to satisfaction in that area. And that's the same in our own lives, that we have to realize that you can't answer for yourself who you are. Our culture needs to realize that, that you can't self-validate, you can't self-value, you can't self-identify, your soul will not accept it. And you can tell yourself all day long, I matter, I'm great, I, I'm made for things, and I, I can do what I want. You can tell yourself that all day, but your soul is not believing it. Not for a minute. See, we all know that there's something outside of ourselves that has to come in and bring value to us. Something outside of ourselves has to interrupt us and speak life into that deep place in our soul that says, you matter, you're mine. And our soul doesn't fall for it when it's not legitimate. Do you ever notice that? You ever get a compliment and it just doesn't matter to you? It just, it just, like, it just like bounces off your chest. It, it can even be the most well-intended compliment, but you, your soul's not accepting. It doesn't, it's not what it's looking for. Your soul's not fooled. And Jacob gets out there and starts to realize, you know what, I have not found what I'm looking for. And, and in fact, the harder I try, the more dysfunctional I seem to be. See, when he said, my name is Jacob, he realized, you know what, there's been a season where I tried to be the supplanter. I tried to be the overthrower. And yet, you know what, it never worked out for me. I realized I'm not awesome. In fact, I've made a mess. I think, that's a, I think that's a message our, our, our culture needs to hear. Anybody, anybody see the video? I think it's going around uh, of Chris Pratt, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, 
Um, he did a speech at the MTV Movie Awards last week where he pretty much like spoke the gospel. It was amazing. But one, at one point, he looked at all these millennials. And he said, you just need to know this. None of you are awesome. And I was like, yes, because that's what this book says. You aren't awesome in and of yourself. And, and you know what? You get out there and you try to obtain and achieve, you're going to realize that, that you're not awesome. And that the things that you thought would make you feel awesome don't make you feel awesome. That there's some, there's some transcendent value, some kind of eternal glory out there that your heart was made for that's, that has to be spoken into the depths of your soul to make your life matter. That's what Solomon meant when he said, God has set eternity in the heart of man. And Jacob had found that out. I think this is such a beautiful thing because... Jacob's there wrestling. He's struggling all night with God, and God sees that the sun is about to rise. And it's like whether, whether, I mean, did he make the sun rise? Yeah. He says, we're done here. Jacob, your struggle as the overthrower, your struggle as the supplanter, your struggle as that conniving achiever, your struggle with trying to make a name for yourself is over right now. The days of that, the days of you making a name for you are over. You are not who you say you are. You are not what your accomplishments say you are. You're more. I love that. He just interrupts. He says in verse 27, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, if you read the story, and we don't have time, there's about 10 chapters designated, and I, I, spent a, I combed through this story this week. It's, you should read it when you go home. But when Jacob says, my name is Jacob, it doesn't just mean for him at that point, when he answers the question to God in, in, in the night, he, when he says, my name's Jacob, it doesn't just mean overthrower and supplanter. But in fact, if you follow along the story, Jacob goes from this first half of his life into this second half of his life where no longer is he the overthrower, but you start to see him as the overthrown. And no longer is he the supplanter, but you start to see him as the supplanted. You start to see him become a victim of this world that he lives in. So, so this once conniving guy who is trying to take things in his own hand, you almost see this shift happen in him where life beats him down so bad that now when he says, my name is Jacob, there's also a tinge of shame, not just striving, but shame connected to it. Because it's interesting. Life wants to label you. Did you know that? I mean, y'all have lived long enough to know that. Go through enough things, life will kind of start to name you for you. And you can try to name yourself all you want, but you go through certain things and it will usurp your name. It will supplant your name. It's interesting. The con man here in our story, he actually meets a bigger con. It tells us in the Bible, it tells us that Jacob, he leaves his father's house, get this, and he heads to his uncle's house to find refuge. He goes to his uncle's, his, his mother says, go to my brother's house and maybe he'll take you in so Esau won't kill you. And we find out, it's kind of a funny story and I wish we had time to read it because it's, it's actually really funny and, and rich. But Jacob leaves his father's house. He has that moment, like we talked about last week, where he meets God, has that dream at Bethel. And then he leaves Bethel, and he's heading to his father's house, his uncle's house, Laban. And on his way to Laban's house, he actually stops outside of his house and uh, he, nearby, and there's this well, and he sees some shepherds there, and he starts talking to the shepherds, saying, are we close to Laban's house? And he's talking to these shepherds, and he sees this beautiful girl. It's almost like the camera pans, and, and there she comes, right? And, and we start to see this beautiful girl, Rachel, 
come and Jacob immediately falls head over heels for Rachel. It's, it's, in fact, this opening scene where Jacob meets Rachel is hilarious. Jacob first tries to like shoo the shepherds away. Hey guys, you mind, uh, you mind going? They're not taking a hint. Literally, it's in the Bible. And then, and then we find Rachel comes and Jacob like tries to impress her. So he picks up, he picks up the stone on top of the, on top of the well. He's like, you want that move, baby? And he picks it up and moves it. It was, it's, it's super funny. It's like, it's like the most, like, just raw first meet, you know, it's like, what do they call it in, in screenwriting, a meet cute? It's like the, the most raw meet cute ever. And then the funniest thing happens. It says that Jacob couldn't contain himself, and he just went in for the kiss right off the bat. Just goes in for the kill, and he kissed her, and then it says he wept aloud. Like, that is awkward, super awkward. Like, don't kiss a girl and cry, man. Like, come on. <laughs> You haven't lived until you've ugly cried with one of these microphones on, just saying. Y'all should try it sometime. So he, he falls in love with this girl. I gotta hurry. It's such a cool story, though. And he falls in love with this girl, Rachel, and he decides, I'm going to your father's house, and, and he asks his uncle Laban. So Rachel's kind of his cousin, which it was all cool then. Don't do that, but it was cool then. And he asks his uncle Laban, I want to marry your daughter, daughter Rachel. I'm head over heels. She's the one. What do I need to do to, to kind of get your permission, your blessing? And, and Laban says, okay, he, he doesn't actually at any point say you can marry Rachel. It's sneaky. Even in the language, it's super sneaky. And as he, he ends up saying, work seven years and you can get married. And that's it. Now, we know that Laban has two daughters, Rachel the younger and Leah the older. And the Bible tells us that, that Leah wasn't as pretty as Rachel. It says that she had weak eyes. And what that means is that she was plain. She was just really plain. Rachel was the stunner, and, and Leah was just, just not, I guess. And we find out that, that Jacob agrees with Laban to work for seven years to win the hand of Rachel. So he thinks. He works seven years essentially as a servant or a slave for Laban until the seven years are up, and he has this wedding. And Laban, sneaky as he is, decides we're going to have this wedding at night, not in the day, which is not typical. And we're going to get drunk and we're gonna be, it's gonna be dark and she's gonna have a veil. And so they get married and then they go and they do the consummation thing and the, and the, the wedding night thing and they have a great night and stuff. And the next morning, it tells us that Jacob rolls over and says, oh baby, that was, oh my goodness, who are you? <laughs> and it was Leah. Laban swapped daughters on him. Like he got played. The con man met a bigger con. The deceiver met a bigger deceiver. And so he goes, he goes back to Laban and says, what have you done to me? It's interesting. You start to see that guy who is playing people. Now he's getting played and life's starting to play him. And then Laban tricks him again and says, you work another seven years and you can have Rachel. You got Leah right now. Sorry, bro. And, uh, and you see time and time again, we don't have time to look at it all, but time and time again, Laban is just beating down Jacob. Like Jacob was getting his butt kicked by this, this struggle. He's getting destroyed in his life. You ever felt like there's just, there's these forces in your life that just keep knocking you back and knocking you down? And it's interesting, the more that you get beat up, the, 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 the less fight that lives in you. And you start to see Jacob, he becomes kind of a coward. He becomes for a season in his life kind of a weakling. Like, like he start, these, these women start running his life, which it's, 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 it's interesting. <laughs> hey, I wasn't saying anything. We find out like Leah gets pregnant. She has four sons. They name them, actually Leah names them. Leah names them Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. 
And then we find out Rachel is jealous because she's the sister and got the sister wives thing going on and it's just awkward. And at no point does the Bible say having more than one woman is a good idea. So take that pro tip, guys. Find one, stick with them. That's good. And it says that Rachel gets jealous, so she decides, I can't get pregnant, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you Bilhah, my servant, and you're going, to, you're going to sleep with her and make her pregnant so we can have a kid that's kind of ours, but not really. So you're going to have this side girl too, so go ahead. And so Bilhah gets pregnant and gives birth to Dan and Naphtali, and then Leah gets jealous. Well, if you're giving your servant to Jacob, I'm going to give my servant to Jacob. So she gives Zilpah to Jacob. So Jacob's just like, yes, girls, okay, let's do it again. Make more babies, right? And... <laughs> So he has two kids with Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. And then we see more and more drama between the sisters. And now, now Leah can't get pregnant, but she wants to get pregnant. So she tricks her into giving her some mandrakes, which is like an aphrodisiac. It's all in the Bible, for real. And then we find out she gets pregnant again and gives birth to Isaac and Zebulun. And then we find Rachel finally gets pregnant one, one final time and gives birth to Joseph and names him Joseph, which means taken away, which next week we'll talk about Joseph, the one who was taken away, which is cool. Names mean something. And all along, you just see this picture of Jacob just kind of getting tossed around by the forces in his life. These women just like beating him down. This uncle just owning him. And he's just a slave to people and forces and situations over and over and over again until one day he finally snaps and breaks and says, I've had enough, I'm out of here. And he gets his whole household and heads away and says, you know what, it's gonna be better. I'm gonna reconcile with Esau and live in this mess. And so he starts heading back. And this is where we have, again, this encounter with God where he's struggling with God. And so God says, Jacob, what's your name? He says, my name is Jacob, which at that point didn't just mean to him overthrower. It meant overthrown, loser, defeated, ashamed, inadequate, not good enough, not strong enough, not capable enough, not man enough. Whatever, whatever it was for Jacob, that, he was almost saying, I am what they say I am. I am what my circumstances say I am. I am what my past says I am. I am what my family says I am. I am what my track record says I am. I am, I'm just the product of all of this. Ever felt like that? The name you wear is, has more to do with what's behind you. The name that you wear has to do with your history. Divorced. Bankrupt. Poor. Addicted, broken, ugly, not lovable, lonely. What are the names you wear? See, Jacob went through about 20 years wearing names of shame deep in his heart. He, he went from striving to shame. He went from overthrower to overthrown. He went from supplanter to supplanted. And it's this beautiful picture where it's like it's, it's in this moment where, where God interrupts him and says, you know what, Jacob? The days of you wearing those names, the days of you being the product of your circumstances, the days of you being who they say you are, are over. There is a new day about to dawn. You are not who they say you are. You are not what your circumstances say you are. You are not what your family says you are. You are not what your wife says you are. You are not what your urges say you are. You are not what your history says you are. And you see this beautiful thing happen where God interrupts him and says, the days of that old name are done. They stop here. 
And that's what God does. Watch what happens next. It says in verse 27, then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, the overthrower, the overthrown. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. This is a new day and I'm giving you a new name. The days of your old name are over. The the shame of Jacob, the striving of Jacob stops here. I'm giving you a new name, Israel, because you have struggled with God. What's it mean to struggle with God? It's that struggle of striving. It's that struggle to find meaning, that struggle to find purpose, that struggle to find validation and value. That first half of his life, Jacob struggled with God, trying to find blessing out there. He knew he was made for more, so he thought, I'm going to get it from taking Esau's blessing. I'm going to get it from taking my dad's blessing. He'd struggled with God, and he struggled with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. I think this is interesting. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? Another time the man was asked his name by Moses, he said, I am. I am that I am. And then, here it is, then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw the face of God. I saw God face to face, and my life was spared. Okay, so I've been trying to show you as we've been looking at the book of Genesis, here we go. We're going to geek out on the Bible for a second. We're going to be done in a minute, I promise. When you look at the book of Genesis, you're supposed to ask the question, how, where is the gospel in this? Where is the gospel of Jesus? How is this pointing to Jesus? This is a picture of the gospel if I ever saw one. It is a beautiful picture of the gospel. The picture, like Jacob is just in the middle of his life, in the middle of nowhere. His past is haunting him. His inadequacy of not being able to obtain and be enough is is haunting him. Everywhere he turns, he's just wearing these inadequate names. And then he's interrupted and he grabs on to the man of God. And he finally appropriates something for the first time in his life, that the blessing and the identity he was looking for his whole life doesn't come from his circumstances, doesn't come from his accomplishments, but he says, once he cut a hold of this man of God, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That used to bug me when I read that. Who do you think you are, Jacob? Are you trying to trick God? You can't trick God. He's right. Life and identity is found in clinging to the man of God, to the God man. It's a picture picture of the cross. Think about the cross. The cross is this divine interruption where God shows up as a man and he engages into the struggle of human life. The Bible says that he felt temptation. He wrestled with forces. He, he dealt with shame. He dealt with humiliation. The Bible says that when he was pinned to the cross, that people hurled insults at him. You want to talk about someone who knows the feeling of shame being labeled over you. He took every single label of shame and humiliation humanity could conjure up. He took it upon himself on the cross. And there he is giving himself. I even love that picture how like God enters in and starts wrestling with Jacob and he allows Jacob to overtake him. 
That's what Jesus did on the cross. You know, Jesus at one point where Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to put you down? Jesus says, no one's got the power for anything. I give it. God put aside his power and allowed humanity to envelop him, to grab onto him. And as we do that, as you grab onto Jesus in faith, hang on with me here. As you grab onto Jesus with faith, as you come to the cross and you cling onto it, here's what simultaneously happens. The shame of your past dies on the cross and a new day breaks forth. And the, sh the striving of trying to find value and meaning and success and affirmation, you get it from the cross. You actually get it from Jesus. This is a picture where, where Jacob is clinging on to the, to the God-man. He receives a brand new identity and a new day, and, the, and God changes his name. He says, you are no longer Jacob, you are Israel. You know what Israel means? Prince. Overcomer. What's a prince? A prince is a son. But not just a son, an heir with rights, royalty. The great, brilliant exchange of the cross is this, that when you come to the cross of Jesus... Your old life dies. Whatever those names are, what are those names you've carried your whole life? The names of shame, the names of striving, the struggle. The struggle is over when you come to the cross. It dies on the cross. And as you pass through the cross in faith, you say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. You take on a new identity. And Jesus changes your name from overcome to overcomer, from, from slave to son. That's what the gospel is. This is why it says in John 1.12, it says, To all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a new seed. It's a new name. There's a new seed. When you accept Jesus and you trust Jesus, and I feel like I need to preach this to Christians today. When you trust Jesus, he plants the seed of a new name, a new identity in your heart, the name of Jesus. See, this is, this is the misconception I think about Christianity a lot of times. A lot of people think that being a Christian is like this, this kind of way to better your life. It's not. Christianity is the end of your old life. It's the end of the struggle for significance. It's the end of the struggle for shame. And it's the beginning of a new life in a new identity in Jesus. Paul says it like this. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and watch this, gave himself up for me. Isn't that beautiful? The Christian life is not about becoming a new you or a better you. It's about putting on the identity of Christ entirely. You say, well, what about my mistakes? I know, isn't that amazing? They're gone. That day is over. You are not defined by your mistakes. What about the stuff that happened to me? I was abused. So is Jesus. That day is over. It's a brand new day in Jesus. Here's, here's, the, here's the news that I feel like God's been trying to just settle in my heart more and more this week about my identity in Christ. You know, do you know in the Bible, it says the word Christian. You know how many times it says the word Christian? Twice. 
it says the word, it, it talks about us being in Christ 216 times. You suppose that is, that's important? Do you suppose that life is not found in wearing a label that says Christian? Life is found in absorbing your entirety in the identity of Christ. That's where life is found. You have a new identity. Some of you are like, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of that. No, you're not. That's why it's so amazing. You don't deserve it. No, you don't. Me neither. And here's the crazy part of it. It deals with your shame, but it also deals with your striving and your hunger for significance at the same time. Why? Because when you take on a new identity in Christ, no longer can you hold on to your shame. No longer can you hold on to your striving. You absorb a brand new identity. <laughs> and you become the identity of Jesus. Look at this. If I, what's it mean to be in Christ? Well, if, if he is spotless and righteous, then in Christ, I'm spotless and righteous. If he is in right standing with God, then in Christ, I am in right standing with God. If he will live and reign forever and ever and ever, then in Christ, I will live and reign forever and ever and ever. If, if he is full of joy, then in Christ, I'm full of joy. If he's at perfect peace, then in Christ, I'm at perfect peace. If he wins, then say it, you tracking? I win. If he's alive, then I'm alive. If he'll never die, then I'll never die. If he's not buying it, then I'm not buying it. If he's not doing it, then I'm not doing it. If he's not drinking it, I'm not drinking it. If he's not having it, then I'm not having it. It's about being in Christ. If he's not watching it, I'm not watching it. If he won't go there, I won't go there. If he goes there, I go there. If he says that, I say that. If he loves that, I love that. If he hates that, I hate that. That's what it means to be in Christ. If he's powerful... I'm powerful. If he is holy, without fault, spotless, I'm holy, without fault, spotless. It is a new identity. So here's, here's the simple thing. What is the seed in your soul today and what is it growing? And can I suggest to you that if there is struggle in your life that has to do with shame or striving, Jesus wants to uproot that and plant himself inside of you. And he has been even revealing to me this week just, just ways in which I'm not comfortable with my shame. And he says, trust me with that. I'm not comfortable with my striving. He says, trust me with that. Let me write a new story in you. In Christ, you are brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. You need to believe it. Why don't you stand with me? I want to show you one more thing while you stand and pay attention. Here's the, here's the end of Jacob's story. So Jacob comes in, he has this intersection with God. This, this struggle ends. And he gets up and he goes, and you start to see this shift in him. I said, a seed is a story, right? And when it germinates, a seed, or sorry, a name is a seed, and when it germinates, it tells a story. You start to see Jacob's story change. He's starting to live by his new name. He is no longer a victim. Watch this. It says in Genesis 35, so, so he actually leaves that encounter. He goes and reconciles with his brother Esau. It's this beautiful picture of reconciliation. Probably should preach on that sometime. It says, leaving Bethel, verse 16, Jacob and his clan moved toward Ephrath, but Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. So they're not nearby where they could get proper medical treatment and help. So, you know, when baby comes, baby's coming. So here it happens. It says, her pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, don't be afraid, you have another son. Now watch this. 
So Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named, ben on, named the baby Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. So the whole way along, the wives are naming the child, which generally was reserved for the father. The father was the one that speaks the life, the name over the child, but Jacob had been abdicating that. He'd been so beat down by these girls, he just was letting that happen. And so now we see it again. Rachel thinks, okay, I'm gonna name this one too. And names him Ben-Onai because she's dying. And with her dying breath, she says, you're son of my sorrow. And it says, the baby's father, however, the baby's father, however, came in, said, not on my watch and called the baby Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, son of my strength. That is crazy. He, he, he understands the heart of the father. And so let, me just, let me just leave you with this. You have a heavenly father that has floated in over all the names this life has tried to put on you and said, not on my watch, that is son of my strength, that is daughter of my strength, daughter of my right hand, son of my right hand. You receive that today and you believe it. You be set free of your shame and stop striving and rest in your identity as sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you interrupted us. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord, that we did nothing to deserve it, but thank you, God, that you were willing to enter into the struggle with us, to engage us, to allow us to wrestle it down until we could realize that I need to yield myself to you and cling to the cross, and that as we do that, we find the life we were looking for in the first place. So, Father, right now, even by your Spirit, would you plant the seed of the name of Jesus deep in our hearts? And would that bring the life that we were longing for in the first place? Would we never let go until you blessed me? Would we always cling the cross? Simply to the cross, I cling nothing in my hands I bring. I let go of the shame, I let go of the striving, and I hang on to the Son, the Son of God, Jesus. Father, thank you for a new identity. Father, even in this moment as we go, would you just fill us with that identity? Would we realize we have a Father that has spoken a new name over us? We are not the sum of our circumstances. We are not the sum of our past mistakes. We are children of God, heirs of the throne. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's sons and daughters said, amen. amen.